Hello, my name is Chris Pollock. I'm one of the pastors at the 8th Street Church in Oklahoma City, and I welcome you as we find ourselves in the sixth week after the Epiphany. In this season, we have been focusing on Paul's first letter to the Corinthians. This letter was for the people at First Church in Corinth, but today we find that it is also for us. This week again, like we have every week in Epiphany, we invite you into the practice of praying the Wesley Covenant Prayer. Oh, love that will not let me go. Rest my weary soul in thee. I give you back this life I owe. That in your ocean depths its flow. Hear the word of the Lord from Paul's first letter to the Corinthians, chapter 15, verses 12 through 20, as translated by Eugene Peterson in the message. Now let me ask you something profound, yet troubling. If you became believers because you trusted the proclamation that Christ is alive, risen from the dead, how can you let people say that there is no such thing as a resurrection? If there's no resurrection, there's no living Christ. And face it, if there's no resurrection for Christ, everything we've told you is smoke and mirrors, and everything you've staked your life on is smoke and mirrors. Not only that, but we would be guilty of telling a string of barefaced lies about God. All these affidavits we passed on to you, verifying that God raised up Christ. Sheer fabrications, if there's no resurrection. If corpses can't be raised, then Christ wasn't, because he was indeed dead. And if Christ weren't raised, then all you're doing is wandering around in the dark, as lost as ever. It's even worse for those who died hoping in Christ and resurrection because they're already in their graves. If all we get out of Christ is a little inspiration for a few short years, we're a pretty sorry lot. But the truth is that Christ has been raised up, the first in a long legacy of those who are going to leave their cemeteries. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Oh, light that follows all my way. I yield my flickering swords to thee. And my heart restores its borrowed ray. That in your sunshine's rays its day. May bright of I sat in that class in college and spoke from my heart. We had just finished reading a passage from Soren Kierkegaard's Works of Love. When the enemy or someone who has wronged you comes to you and seeks an agreement that you are willing to forgive is indeed beautiful and laudable and also loving. After that reading, I was inspired. Filled with passion, I painted a picture with my words of the way the world could be and what I wanted my life to become. Practicing vulnerability among my peers there, I remember this proclamation, giving it to my professor and my peers as if I was in a dream, my blood pumping, my imagination running wild, my hope spilling out everywhere. 
I could see the future, taste it, touch it. It was a new reality I could envision. When I finished, I held my breath as I waited for the euphoria of the class to explode in some sort of collective applause. The room was silent. That is until somebody declared, Come on, live in the real world. What is real? That is a question that philosophers have been working over for a long time. We cannot escape the rational world of our senses. What is real is what we see, hear, taste, touch, smell. What is real in this world is greed, accumulation, seeking or being forced to yield power, wanting fame or at least recognition, sexual conquest and gratification, death. This is the real world. At least this is the world that the people at First Church of Corinth believed was real. Their shared life was a disaster. Brutal backbiting, infighting, cheating, and infidelity marked this community. Life in the faith community was no less and no more than what the world was like on the outside of their church walls. But the message of Pastor Paul to the First Church of Corinth was this. A new reality has emerged. No one could have predicted it or could have anticipated it, and no one even recognized it at first. No one would have been able to suspect it, but it began when Jesus of Nazareth was sentenced to death under trumped-up charges. Guilt, sorrow, pain, anguish. These elements were what was real about the crucifixion, and they paralleled the real elements in our own lives. However. The new world, God's new creation project, began in the moment he pronounced, it is finished. The world as we know it is on its way out, and a new world is moving in. And all of this is demonstrated in his resurrection. The true reality has invaded us in the resurrection of Jesus we are invited into something real now, something brand new. A few weeks ago, my friend Finley, who is four years old, lost her pet fish, Cutie. She was pretty sad about it. She told me Cutie was a good little fish. Little Finley was wondering what happened to Cutie, so she asked her mom and dad. After discussing it a little, they decided to text me. So I texted Finley back, and I simply told her the story that Paul proclaimed. This is what I said. Dear Finley, Jesus went to heaven after he was resurrected from the dead. That happened after people killed him. Now he runs the universe with God, and he gave us his spirit who guides us. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, he has the power to raise every living creature that has ever died. He promised that he would come back again to make everything right in the world. When Jesus returns and God fixes all parts of the world that are broken, God will heal Cutie's body. I don't 
really know how that happens, but he'll also heal anyone who is sick or sad, and no one will ever die again, not even our pets. My dogs, Eddie and Sam, died, and I can't wait to see them again someday. They were great dogs. Oh, and Finley, I want you to remember this. We don't know when all of this will happen, but Jesus promised us so we can trust that it's true. For Paul, that which is true, that which is real, that which is good, in other words, God's new real world is set firmly and rooted in this event. God raised Jesus Christ from the dead as an act of love. And love liberates. The resurrection liberated Jesus from death. And if that's the case, then the resurrection liberates us as well. Evangelicals are committed to telling the good news, but we have dumbed it down, reducing it to a formula to satisfy our angst and soften our fear of death. Jesus died on the cross to forgive us of our sins, we say, but we have mechanized the ministry of Christ on the cross and domesticated what is quite revolutionary. The New Testament understanding is by the revolutionary work of God's Messiah on the cross, evidenced by his resurrection, the evil that holds us back, that arrests our hope and blinds us from seeing God's new creation project in motion, can hold us back no more. We are forgiven. We're set free. And if God can do this in us, then it is evidence of God's plan to do it in a wider, more vast, more robust way for the entire creation. In other words, we could say love raised him from the dead, drew him out of death. And with this new reality, ours is a hope that we might be drawn out of, resurrected out of our dead, doldrum lives as well. Jesus's resurrection was a bodily resurrection. And Paul says that makes all the difference. If there was no bodily resurrection, then none of this matters. But you do matter. Your life matters. This world matters. This bodily resurrection says that God puts limits on death and says to the world that God hasn't given up on you. Why? Because this world and everything in it matters to God. It's like Paul says death, abuse, greed, violence. These are now the things of the old world. Sure, they're real, but they are not right, and they've never been right because they belong to death, and resurrection says that death does not belong. Make way for something new. We live in a tension and stand between one old reality and another new reality. This week, a friend of mine posted a tribute to his friend that had recently passed away. The tribute was filled with dread and hope. Rest in Christ, Lee. Resurrection comes. Paul's revolutionary good news was this. God is redeeming and restoring the world. God is making old things new. God is raising dead things to life. And if it hasn't happened yet, stand firm. This is the new real world and it's on its way. This is for you and for all of creation. Rest in Christ, cutie. Resurrection comes. Feel the promise is not vain 
For the last number of weeks, we've invited you to pray the Wesley Covenant Prayer. I will tell you, this prayer is doing a number on me. On several occasions in the season, I've run into tough stuff, conflict, disagreements, enemies that want to do harm to me, friends and people in our congregation that are very sick or have sick family members. On the global scale, continual war seems to loom. Death seems to be the reality. I, like the young co-ed who jerked the hope away from me in college, am tempted to be convinced that this world is all there is. But God is ushering in a whole new world. I have also watched people be set free, healed, and confess that they need to walk in new ways. And all of this begins in the crucifixion. And its promise is realized for us in the resurrection. That's why we can pray. I am no longer my own, but yours. Put me to what you will. Rank me with whom you will. Put me to doing. Put me to suffering. Let me be employed for you or laid aside for you. Let me be exalted for you or brought low for you. Let me be full. Let me be empty. Let me have all things. Let me have nothing. I freely and heartily yield all things to your pleasure and disposal. I invite you to pray this prayer throughout the week. Start your day with it. Pray it before a meeting or a tough conversation. Take a moment and whisper it if you are tempted to believe that this old world is all there is. In this prayer, you can feel the rhythms of the old world and the new world intention. As you pray this prayer, May you know the hope of resurrection, even as you feel the pain of crucifixion. As you pray this prayer, may you see the world as God is making it, while you feel the old world in its ways. As you pray this prayer, may you know God's promise in it, and God's promise in its fullness, that God's world is incoming, even as you wait in the reality of this very Cross the lifts and holds my head I dare not ask to fly from thee I lay in dust life's glory dead And from the ground there blossoms red Life that shall end Friends, thank you for joining us this week as we learn to live the way of Jesus together. I pray, I hope, that the grace and peace you need in this season might be yours today. Amen.